0: Josh, how are you today?
1: Hey, Deirdre, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really excited about today's episode, Josh. I know, the Deirdre and Josh show is finally back.
0: I know, and you know, Josh, you and I were saying this yesterday, we've got to do a bonus episode because we need to check in on one another for our New Year's resolutions.
1: I know, we have to let the people know how we're doing.
0: That's right. So I, I bet... Better- uh, I've been working hard on mine. How about you, Josh? <laughs>
1: uh, we'll save it for the episode.
0: We'll save it for the episode. And that's why we call it a bonus episode.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: But I'm really excited about today. We've got Zach video joining us today, Josh, uh, for Fuel Your Fire. And Zach has become a really close friend to the program here at the Engel Center for Entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah, this is going to be quite an episode. Zach has been a dear friend of yours for some time now. And uh, yep. I'm lucky enough to join that as well.
0: Yeah. He, so Zach is Executive Vice President for Marketing Strategy for a company called Fabric Media. And I really love the whole value prop of Fabric Media. So as you know, uh, we have a course here at Endicott Storytelling for Entrepreneurs. And Fabric Media is really focused on digital storytelling across multiple platforms and for some big brands as well, too. Um, the great part about working with Zach is not only is he on that leading edge of what's going on with digital marketing strategy, but he's also a player in the Boston startup community, and since he's moved back to Beverly, which we're going to talk about with him, he's really getting involved in the startup community here on the North Shore.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a good one, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, so let's get to it.
1: Welcome to Fuel Your Fire, presented by the Engel Center for Entrepreneurship. This podcast is produced by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. If you want to build your own business, lead your life, and achieve your dreams, you've come to the right place.
0: Zach video. welcome to Fuel Your Fire.
1: Thanks for having me, Deirdre, and good to see you, Josh. You as well. So excited to have you on the show, my friend.
0: Yeah, and- we've had this one scheduled for quite some time, Zach.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time coming.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I was reflecting on how you and I met. And I think, Zach, you just, I don't know whether you called me up or you sent an email, but I remember you just said, hey, I'm, I'm here. I want to get involved. I heard some things happening. And I, I remember that was maybe two years ago, maybe even closer to three years ago now.
2: Yeah, I sort of just appeared. Because, you did. And, and the reality is that's because I did. Uh, I showed up at the Engel Center and asked for you. Um, I was trying to find, I'm like, did I even send an email? And I couldn't find one. I know that I just showed up like looking for you specifically because I had, it's the story of me meeting you is like the story of how I've made most of my luck in life, which is Mm -hmm. sort of, I have my intentions. I find folks that seem aligned with those intentions. And then I put myself in a position where, we collide and see what might happen,
0: yeah, and I you know that word collide" is a great word. I remember maybe it was our second or third meeting, and what I really respect about you is your ability to find the common ground, and you and I got talking about our upbringing and where we grew up and education, and we have a lot more in common than what we don't have in common
2: yeah, that's right, I mean yeah here and you grew up in Revere, and you know my my dad's whole family's from Chelsea and just there's 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 all sorts of ways to to relate to folks but when I when I find folks that are from similar kind of blue collar upbringing I'm I'm particularly relatable to that um and and also admire like I I grew an even deeper admiration for you because I knew the sort of humble upbringing you had and how much you had built yourself Uh, I also find that folks from like that area of like the north shore of Boston like have an ability to kind of play that chameleon role. So like I've identified that in you and, and it's a sort of type. And I was, you know, blessed. Like that's how my dad is um, and my mom too. Like they have a good ability to sort of connect and relate to all sorts of different types of of folks.
0: Yeah. It's a trait that serves you well throughout your whole life and in, in your career. And so you um, you've taken connection on like a master scale of Boston Speaks Up.
2: yeah yeah it was one of those opportunities that I identified moving back to Boston after being in l a for five years and each time I'm going through a growth phase in life or there's always sort of new goal setting, and I just I look to identify ways to elevate myself and when I was moving back from LA to Boston and now I'm settled in here in Beverly, I wanted to immerse in the tech community and there had been some failed attempts at a good sort of Boston innovation community podcast. I had a bunch of friends that had matured in the five years I was out West. Like my buddy Clem Cazalot was a founder that went through Techstars Boston and Come to find out, he's now the Managing Director of Techstars Boston. And so with folks like that to just catch up with, and with my gift of gab, I figured, well, I'm also a media producer. Why don't I just catch up with folks? I'm a dad now, I gotta be productive with my time. I think I could start a podcast. And it was like one night, middle of the night, it was like two, three in the morning, and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I got the name. And I'm like on GoDaddy, buying BostonSpeaksUp.com, sort of like writing down the whole arc of like how I see it come to fruition. And fast forward a couple of years, we just put out episode 58 with David Chang, who's a very popular serial entrepreneur and angel investor in Boston. And it's going really well. I now get to meet all sorts of new people. I get pitched interesting people. Um, I, I, interviewed a dude from, from Snapchat a few months back and he reached out to me a couple weeks ago and he was like, Hey, you got some great reach. I just heard from someone from a company in Portland, Oregon, who heard our podcast and wants to do a deal with, with me and, and Snapchat. So thank you. I was like, cool. Um, that's really neat. So, so yeah, it's, it's been going really well and I'm really, really blessed.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Zach, so you know Deirdre and I, of course, are working pretty hard here with Feel Your Fire, trying to grow our brand, um, our personal brands, but also the brand of uh, one, Feel Your Fire, the Engel Center, and then Endicott College as a whole. So how have you seen um, this going with Boston Speaks Up as growing your personal brand, and then the brand of Fabric as well? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's been sort of a mix of both. Uh, for, for me, I, I definitely believe that individuals tend to sort of drive brands. And for me, I'm the, I'm the ambassador of fabric in Boston. And so raising my profile can raise fabrics profile. And I think similarly, the way that you, Josh and Deirdre sort of kind of raising your profiles through conversation and some of the work that you're doing, like this pod, like the podcast that we're doing is, is the right way to sort of make more relatable the angle center because as i've come to to find the angle center it's very elastic in nature and flexible in the ways that the community can tap into it like there's very non-traditional ways for folks to go and sort of like participate in spark tank and submit startup ideas and for local businesses to get involved and That can sometimes get lost static on a website via text. And we live in this golden age of of media consumption, certainly, but also in production. So the ability to produce and distribute content to folks in different formats really does help make um, brands more relatable. And the last point I'll just say on this is every person, every company is a media brand. And even if you're a business to business company selling software to other businesses, and you just look at the tectonic shift that's happened in business these days. And most of the savvy companies out there have a marketing department that is acting as if they're a media publisher and they have a video strategy and they maybe have a podcast and they have a conversational marketing strategy. And so they're really learning how to sort of speak to audiences in all sorts of different formats, because you may have an audience of 100 people, and those 100 people are, are going to be segmented out into sub, subsets that all prefer to consume in four, five, six different ways. And so the more, more ways you can be accessible to those folks in different formats, the more you're going to be able to raise your brand and raise your profile and, and develop opportunities.
1: Right. Right. So just to follow up on that, to help Deirdre and I, is there anything you wish you knew when you started, when you started out the podcast or any, any tips for us going forward? I think consistency,
2: that's the biggest one. When I, when that night happened that I, my, my wife, Elizabeth sort of woke up and was like, what are you doing on your phone at two in the morning? That, that was probably summer. It was maybe June, June or July. I didn't launch the podcast till November. I wanted to make sure that i was ready to launch it i had a good queue of guests ready i had the mechanics down it was a digestible amount of work that i could take on and i could meet a minimum of a couple guests per month in perpetuity and from that consistency and just being a media professional and understanding the importance of repetition frequency and it's kind of similar with fitness like You don't have to lift the most weights every workout. You just have to consistently work out. And it's like that with media. It's like this, with the podcast you guys are doing, just consist, like set a set of proper cadence, adhere to that cadence, be accountable to that cadence and organic growth will happen. And I think at times with certain guests, you can maybe try some sort of growth, growth hacks, um, some of which, you know, I could, I could speak to like, you know, launching the, the, the podcast right now, you guys are building up a repository of content. Maybe there's a media outlet or some partner out there that can be a syndication partner. So that each time you do a podcast, you can provide them text and an embed for them to sort of have some content, but also spread the word about what you've done. And, that, and that's kind of what I've done with Boston Business Journal is is identify that I have something of value and it also caters to the audience of Boston Business Journal. Let me look at how Boston Business Journal puts content together for their audience and present to them an editorial product, an editorial package for me to syndicate their way. They were very agreeable to that. And for the last two years, Boston Speaks Up lives at BostonO and gets featured in The Beat, the newsletter of Boston owner lives at bostonbusinessjournal.com. So I think repetition frequency and also trying to find potentially like a syndication partner or partners that can just help spread the word each time they have an
0: episode. So Zach, as you've been driving toward consistency with 58 episodes, talking with big movers and shakers in the community and beyond, what are you seeing right now? Now, regarding innovation, particularly for Boston.
2: One of the things I love is coming up recently is steering entrepreneurs toward purposeful innovation. The last two guests have been Carly Chase from MIT and David Chang, as I referenced. They both spoke about work, and they both work with student entrepreneurs, and they're both in their own right. Trying to steer and, and help folks that are working on healthcare-related startups, climate-related startups, and the types of companies that can really future-proof the health of the planet, the health of the population of the planet. And I think that's really neat. Uh, the other trend I'm seeing too is that just in general in, in tech and Boston's benefiting from this, we like to say this thing at Fabric that's sort of like the, the geeks are having like a nice resurgence right now. Like the, the folks in the background that are developing the enablement technologies that don't usually get celebrated a lot, they're what is enabling a lot of the innovation across markets. And Boston's known as a... As a really strong venture market, startup market, not necessarily the sexiest market, um, although there's plenty of consumer brand, brands and consumer tech companies in Boston, but a lot of those, um, you know, cybersecurity companies, robotics companies, we did, Fabric Media did a report recently on microlocation robotics. If, if folks want to see some of this stuff, they can reach out to me and a lot of the, the global robotics industry is being driven by micro-location robotics innovation and micro-location robotics innovation is being led in Boston. So my takeaway from connecting with people has been, wow, Boston has an insane amount of innovation across sectors, seems to be a lot of purposeful innovation, and seems to be a real focus on first-time founders, student founders, and just Nurturing the young community. And then, uh, sort of off of that, a couple of the guests that I've had that have been in other markets, like Lucy Maffei is a great reporter. She was once at Boston. Oh, she's now Boston Business Journal. And she's written for TechCrunch in Chicago. And she's worked at NPR in Washington, D.C. And she's lived in Boston. And she said, by far, so what's the difference between Chicago, D.C., and Boston? And she's like, well, by far, the the community in Boston is so willing to help and support like the next crop of entrepreneurs. And it's interesting because Boston sometimes gets a bad rap and at times it is hard to sort of like crack into certain clicks. Uh, But just the, the willingness for established entrepreneurs to help first time and aspiring entrepreneurs is really wonderful in Boston and something that I'd certainly take a lot of pride in, which is why I'm talking about it with you here on this podcast.
0: And it's not a zero sum game that's the beauty of whether you're in the in the Boston entrepreneurship community or even on the North Shore everyone's got their value proposition their specialty and it doesn't need to be a zero-sum game so so talk a little bit more about, about fabric media you were talking about some of the industry studies that you do
2: yeah so fabric we certainly touch some other industries and it's But for the most part, we operate at the intersection of media, entertainment and technology. That's a real specialty of Fabric. So Fabric Media is a strategy and and growth consulting firm. And what does that mean? It means companies hire us because we have particular subject matter expertise in terms of how to develop growth marketing and business development programs for a range of companies and we're pretty efficient at creating those programs. And we oftentimes can sort of not necessarily replace. We oftentimes work with companies at an early stage that aren't necessarily prepared to hire a CMO. And so the role that Fabric plays like a good way to visualize, like how does Fabric fit in with its clients is most all of our clients don't have a chief marketing officer. And we kind of play this, fractional CMO role. We have a couple former CMOs on our, on our, um, as part of our consortium and we design and lead the sort of go-to-market efforts for a range of companies. Uh, we do that for Vizio, the the TV maker, and we've sort of gotten to a position where we, we work with Vizio and we've worked with Viacom, CBS, and we've, we've done analyst contracts with, um, a bunch of you know media companies like um, hulu and and measurement companies like Nielsen, like household names, but where we really where the rubber really hits the road for fabric is with a lot of the startups that we work with so we work with companies usually pre series a we do a lot of due diligence like a venture capital firm would. we sometimes make angel investments in companies in in that in those sort of early sort of inception to series a phase and help provide services and strategies and executions that allow those companies to gain some traction, get some customers to develop some revenue to get to an A round. We did that recently with the company really well, and their revenues got to a point where they didn't raise an A round and they actually sold. And I can't say who yet, but in about a week, we're announcing a purchase agreement going through, and one of those companies we bet a small chunk of cash on and helped the last few years is is getting acquired, um, and they're getting acquired based on like really substantial revenues before any uh, major venture capital funding. So my job's great because I get to see a lot of really interesting early stage innovations and then how those early stage disruptors are sort of causing change or uh, enabling new business opportunities for big companies. So that's why in turn we're we're in these interesting roles with the visios of the world. And then the last part of Fabric that sort of affords us really interesting vantage point is we own and operate our own analyst practice. So it's called TB Rev and TV Rev is sort of the leading business-to-business analyst group focused on the business of sort of TV advertising and entertainment, sort of the mechanics of how to make money purposefully in advertising, uh, privacy, you know, with privacy compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Yeah, so hopefully that helps give a little bit of background on on Fabric.
0: Yeah, and just a, a quick question on that. So when you make your investments, uh, some of these seed investments in other companies, do you act as almost a, a mentor or a coach for these? Or is it more of a hands-off, here's our cash, do your thing?
2: We're, yeah, we're hands-on. And I can't think of an instance where we're hands-off. The, the cash investments from Fabric are rare, um, but do happen. As it, as it, as I mentioned. And the other the other way we work too, and actually more often how we work is we'll meet a company with six employees. There's a company we work with iSpot.tv. If you look up a super, if you look up any ad, but if you were looking up Super Bowl ads, you probably saw iSpot.tv because they're they dominate search results if you want to know anything about a TV advertisement. Well, we started working with them at six employees, and they're now at a few hundred employees and, and a company like that, we didn't make an investment, but we invested in them by not charging them a lot for our services. And so we offset the cash component. We actually became advisors, official advisors to the company. We went on a two year to uh, to get some sort of shares over a two year vesting period. And then even did a second two year vesting period with them. I mean, fast forward to today, They've gone past, you know, through a series C round, They've, they have raised the 30 million at that C round, all growth capital that they don't even need. And they recently acquired one of their competitors in the market. Uh, they have about 11 people that sort of, or more, maybe a little bit more that kind of work in the marketing department. And Fabric provides like seven folks that contribute to that marketing group. So you can see how we sort of augment the team from early on to later stage. So we're very active and we're kind of what the company needs when they need it, which is sort of like dear to the point of like the relatability, you know, us relating to each other early. Like we have a good av- ability of relating to companies at different stages and, and sort of in, in different ways and being what they need when they need it and being willing and able to quickly shift uh, based on you know how their needs
1: may change and how their needs may change relative to the market,
0: like right. being a chameleon in in the good sense.
1: Yep, that's a that's amazing stuff. I wasn't aware of that connection with iSpot TV. I know I can attest. I was helping a pretty top level marketing guy recently, um, and we were looking through ads. And the number one uh, platform we're using is iSpot TV. That's the go to in that space. So Zach, you talked about different disruptive companies. Uh, when talking about who you work with uh, throughout your time at Fabric. So what are some disruptive trends that you can envision in the next five years that I could best prepare myself for entering the workforce, but also and other Endicott students alike? Read the Bitcoin
2: uh, white paper. That's the number one thing I would do. I would be prepared for what cryptography means to the world and not so much cryptocurrency, but Bitcoin is obviously a cryptocurrency, but you know, it's interesting because I asked this question. A lot of people I speak to on the podcast, Galen Moore is a great mind to, to know and to tap into. I've interviewed him on Boston speaks up, might be worth checking out. I asked Galen this same question and that's what he told me. And and that's become one of my go-to answers, which is, You don't have to, you don't read the Bitcoin white paper to then go and like become like an altcoin, like day trader and get all into cryptocurrency. You read the Bitcoin white paper to understand how, you know, a blockchain and sort of cryptographic principles when applied to any business um, really do just create a better set of standards, accountability and transparency, privacy compliance, so that the mechanics of 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 businesses across industries can really take shape so i I wouldn't let that be a blind spot it is i would definitely look look closely at what's happening there and it just and if you look at boston it's pretty strong in this regard clem caslott who i mentioned at tech stars he has a cryptography background so i talked to him on the podcast about cryptography quite a bit and so it's not so much that when you hear crypto you think cryptocurrency you think sort of Financial And it's there's the, the principles of a ledger and the the matter of factness of a ledger and and the um, the manner in which that can be applied to things outside of um, dollar transactions is probably where crypto will have its biggest impact uh, and widest impact. So I, I definitely would would sort of encourage folks to check out the, the Bitcoin. White paper, and then if you're interested in some of this stuff, um, Galen is Galen Moore is over at CoinDesk now, desi- you know, designing sort of editorial for CoinDesk, and you know, CoinDesk is like the tech crunch of of the crypto world, and and it's certainly worth um, taking a closer look at.
1: Absolutely, definitely will do. Uh, so, Zach, moving forward, another question I had for you. So, I know you grew up here on the East Coast, moved out west for a bit. Uh, I can tell you for me personally, it's always been a dream um, since I was little to go out and live in LA for a bit, live out on the West coast, live that lifestyle. So could you tell us about that journey to growing up here, moving out there and um, truths about living out in LA? I know it's been a huge hub for people lately and then now, now everyone's moving out. So uh, what's, what's your take there?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's something I wanted, I wanted to do, I wanted to do for quite some time and i probably not necessarily in my childhood but when I I went to Boston University and I studied abroad in Australia and I got a taste for like being somewhere far away and different that was sunny and had beaches and you could surf and right. and and it was really you know I just I, I have this really romantic view of like and always still have but like I had this truly romantic view of like Southern California and i I had visited San Diego and, and my brother was living in L.A. I visited L.A. And to me, it was like the closest thing that I had, to what I had experienced in Australia. So I, I wanted that. Like I wanted like the beauty of, of Southern California and change, um, but I also wanted opportunity. And I feel you have to be thrusted into like unfamiliar surroundings to like have like significant growth sometimes in life. And I was at a point in like 2011, 2012, where I knew I needed big change and change. And, and I had done some change. Like I'd hopped around some agencies in Boston and it wasn't enough. So for me, I like, once I became determined that I was going to live in LA, I'm, I made it. I made clear intentions and did that thing I do. So I, I went and met with my mentor, Brian Bogie, who was my go-to mentor from since my first job, Schwartz Communications out of school, sat down with him. This was early days when Silicon Valley had, had, a, had a little stepsister, Silicon Beach, that started getting talked about in LA. And it seemed to me that there was a fair bit of technology companies in Los Angeles that might benefit from someone who came from a mature tech market like Boston and and just basically developed like a business plan for sort of going in and like being a marketing and PR consultant for Silicon Beach. And once that business plan was developed, I expressed those intentions to a few folks. And one of my buddies who was a big tech reporter was like, hey, I know someone up in Silicon Valley who's got a nice little boutique agency that probably would benefit from an LA office. One thing led to another we partnered up and I went and opened her LA office. And so packed up my car with my, at the time, girlfriend, now wife, and and headed out to, to LA. One of the coolest things that happened the first few months I was in LA is I was just so excited to be in like the warmth and the sun every day. And I was living in Hollywood that first year. I just, I like would burst out of my apartment like, in the middle of the day and like go and run running canyon and like just I, was, I started exercising like constantly and I, I hadn't exercised quite as much in the few years prior and I'm a fitness guy but I just kind of lost it but it was just amazing just being in a new place how much I just started taking care of my body and within a few months I had like shed some weight and felt great and my joined a soccer team with my brother and you know like I can't say enough good things about LA like it afford you the opportunity to kind of get your mind right and get your, get your physical health and mental health, right? Like the, there's a lot, there's not a lot of variables to complain about. Um, if you have employment in LA and there's a lot of things to make you happy. So that was, it, it was, it was a tremendous experience. How I actually developed business in LA is also interesting too. I didn't know people doing business in LA. I, I knew a lot of people doing business in Chicago and New York and the Valley. I knew my brother's, you know, entertainment scene, but I was trying to get into the tech scene. So, in the months leading up to my move to LA, I would I found all these interesting people, you know, searching on Twitter, LA tech, Silicon Beach. I found all these like clusters of folks, followed them, created Twitter lists, started tweeting about more like 80% of my tweets were about LA tech. And By the time I set foot in L.A., I had like two really good friends that I met on Twitter. And one of them ended up at my wedding and the other one ended up being a client. And we just we just collided through just, you know, the alignment of of intentions online. And one thing led to another and we met up and, and things kind of spiraled from there. So that's sort of the, the the LA experience for me was great. Things change over time. Like my wife and I had a, had a daughter who's now three and a half and she was born in in Santa Monica and spent the first year of her life in Venice. And that'll be a cool story for her to tell kids at Beverly, you know, Beverly public schools. Like she's, she's in LA, she was an LA baby. Uh, but everyone goes to like private schools in LA. And there's like my wife, it was important for my wife and I to kind of raise Mila in a community where she could go to public schools. And, and there was a little bit more like, you know, small town feel a bit more like local, hyper, you know, hyper-local kind of community um, to, to sort of embed yourself in. And we moved back a couple of years ago and, and haven't regretted it since.
0: Well, we're, we're glad you moved back. So Zach, you went there, you created your own community. Now take a step back lots of places where we could engage as a greater community in the tech space, whether it's South by Southwest, CES, Consumer Electronics Show, cons, like those things, what's your take on how those are going to look in the near future, say the next two to three years out? Yeah.
2: This year, yeah. So I've been to, I had been to the last six Consumer elect- electronic Shows So CES is usually it's the first, like the first full week in January after New Year's. And you hear electronics show and you think like consumer electronics and it's certainly a lot of gadgets and all that. But because CES is timed the way it is, it's an incredible time to descend on one place, Las Vegas, and develop business. So what's happened over time is is tons of, tons of different markets will descend on particular big industry events because it can help accelerate your ability to sort of meet with a lot of people at once. And that won't go away. Like th- this, like I, I know from talking to clients, like folks are year- like really yearning for having events to come back. It's probably not gonna be the case this year, but like by next winter, hopefully we can have a CES, I think everyone across the board will definitely continue going to CES at least one year from now and certainly two, because this is the sort of comments that I, I think I've made and I've heard from clients is at one of these shows like a CES, I can have more meetings in three days than I can have in three months. Right. Even though a lot of these people I'm meeting with, I'm I have a company, you know, say their companies in New York and it's 80% of people they meet are in New York. It's just, it's a, it's a high con. And it's also at a time of the year where you're setting the deck for which partnerships and what your go-to-market playbooks are and what you're going to execute for the year. So, so see, C- I think CS in particular will be pretty strong after this. I wonder about con a bit in the South of France. I think that I've been, I, I went once um, I skipped, I had to skip this, the, the second year, my, my buddy at Roku who was getting married in Joshua Tree in the desert, and that was incredible. Oh, that sounds um,
0: pretty incredible. Yeah,
2: that's a, that's a, that's an interest that's an interesting story. I, I that ended that resulted in me having to go to an emergency vet visit with our dog, who had like some sort of foreign desert substance made it up his nose. Um, luckily, there's emergency vet services everywhere, even in the desert. So K- Khan is interesting because it for similar reasons as CES folks will descend on it in the middle of the year in the summer and and sort of kind of do a gut check on partnerships and go to markets. And there's, there's some good business development, but it's a lot of drinking Rose on yachts and an incredible expenditures for companies that go. I could see that event having, being hurt quite a bit. Like maybe the Vizios and the Hulus of the world still go. I don't know if the, the, sort of ascending tech ecosystem and the agencies that have historically gone and helped support like the, the, the sort of business to business side of, of con. I don't know if that's going to continue. So I could see some of the international events potentially taking a hit, but I definitely, I could see CES continuing. Then the other one that I think has lost its luster a little bit. And I think it will, it could also suffer a tiny bit is, is South by Southwest. Um, and my heart goes out to folks in Austin that are dealing with um, the aftermath of, of that horrible storm last week. Austin's a great town. South by Southwest is a great event and but it's sim- it's more similar I think to Khan that is CES in how I've described them. Um, so if I were to if, if, if folks were were really interested in like what event is most important, like from experience, I would, lean heavily in the direction
0: of of CES. It seems like with COVID, if there's one lesson that it's taught us, that is to be purposeful. And to your point, you know, I've been to a ton of conferences and I think now I feel like I've lost my patience for sort of that superfluous activity. You know, I wanna go to something to create a meaningful connection and obviously to do business. I mean, of course you can have fun when you go to these places too, but that shouldn't be the end all and be all. So you move back to Beverly, uh, are you loving it?
1: I'm
2: loving it. I really am. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's interesting. Folks will be like, you moved from LA back to Boston. I'm like, well, I moved specifically from Venice first to Winthrop and rented from some family while we identified we wanted to move to the North Shore and we looked at Salem and Beverly, but we really honed in on Beverly once we started to explore the community and community being like the key word like we are in love with the the community here uh and i tell people I'm like honestly i've I've li- like i can say this like i've lived in venice beach right and a half block from the beach beverly has venice vibes like beverly had like it's really interesting like the I didn't, and i did not even realize i should probably should have like i thought i went deep on the research i didn't realize how many beautiful beaches there were just in beverly and and the vibe of, of folks sort of like it, 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 like in the summer, there's a, the lifestyle is really oriented around sort of the beach and, and there's a very sort of blase kind of like communal sort of beach vibe, which is, which is nice. Um, we love the downtown vibrant, lots of coffee shops, restaurants, like we're trying to support them during the pandemic and, and do a lot of, you know, take on on the weekends and stuff. Um, Incredible amount of breweries. Like it has all the things that you would that you see. Like these these sort of like these tier two cities kind of develop, like a Portland, Maine, right. uh, that become destinations. And yet, you know, I can jump on. I mean, there's five train stops in Beverly. And I can jump on the train and be at North Station in a half hour. So we love it. Um, our daughter's at the Beverly um, YMCA doing preschool now, and get, you know, getting ready in a couple of years to, to, to go into Beverly public schools and all our neighbors have like young kids. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's wonderful. And then there's also like a, there's a, there's a vibrant um, business community, you know, there's a lot of local businesses. There is um, North shore inno you know, one of the biggest sort of biotech labs in the state is in Cummings center coming center itself is, is remarkable. Right. Uh, you obviously have, you know, Endicott and Salem State and like like some local universities and Salem State, your alma mater. Got to give a shout out to them. Right, Deirdre? Absolutely.
0: Uh, yeah. Absolutely.
2: So, yeah, no. So we so we, we love it. And then obviously, you know, down, you know to be, be able to hop over downtown Salem, like it's it. there's a lot of options. Like before the pandemic started, we were, we were surprised how little we missed or had the desire to like go to Boston because we had so much to do in Beverly and Salem.
0: Yeah, it's a great area. So you've uh, mentioned to our audience, you have a daughter. If um, you were to contemplate the legacy that you want to leave to her, what would that be, Zach?
2: The pause is for dramatic purposes. Um, I think about this a lot and because it's important to me to make all my, I try to make all my decisions based on my daughter she's my, North, Mila is my North star. And the, the, what I didn't realize would happen when I had a child is that they, it's like a performance enhancer. Like if you do it right, like for me, I ask myself in most situations, especially in situations where I'm uncomfortable. Well, what can I do right now that my daughter would be proud of me? Like if she doesn't have to be with me, but I want her to, I want her to have full transparency on every action I take in my life and for her to be proud of me. And so when I think about like, simply put, like what I want my legacy to be, and it's that I was, I loved a lot of people and was loved by people. And that's, and actually if, to, if you would ask me who my hero was, like, that would be how you'd describe my hero, which is my grandfather. John, John's to who passed away when I was 14. But the last thing he ever said to me, he was really sick, but he said, just, you keep an eye on my sweetheart for me. You know, my grandmother who God bless her is still alive at going on 91 next month. Um, and he just loved, like he loved everyone. And he let love lead and and sort of, and he was good to people. He was kind to people and, He loved everyone and everyone loved him. And so I hope to leave the same legacy.
0: You know, and technology comes and goes, but what you've just described, that's what stays. Exactly. So if our listeners would like to learn more from Zach, we are actually hosting an accelerator program for the month of March at Endicott College. You can go on ecfuel.com to learn more. But if you have that business idea in your head and you want to get it out to the universe... Zach is the man. So get in touch with us. And if people want to learn more about fabric media, Zach.
2: Yeah. So you can check out uh, fabricmedia.net. Check out our website. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Servideo. Uh, we, we can maybe include some of this stuff in in the, in the post. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter and yeah. Like, you know, feel free, you know, I would, love to to hear from folks. So I, I always joke with my team, I'm, I'm available, uh, I'm I'm available across platforms. So hit me on Twitter. You can drop me a line at Zach, Z-A-C-H at fabricmedia.net. And looking forward to, um uh, looking forward to that course. I think it's going to be really, um, wonderful the way we've sort of set it up and the way, um, Deirdre, you and I in particular kind of built some momentum the last couple of years and and done some things together. Like we're, we're, I'm and I talked to Josh about this the other day, but we're taking an, an interesting, uh, approach to sort of like how to best check the boxes necessary to hedge, hedge into, you know, a successful startup endeavor. And I'm really excited. I've been just in awe at the, Founders that I've that I've met the last couple of years um, as part of this this burgeoning Endicott startup ecosystem, and looking forward to connecting with with more of y'all.
0: I'm glad you knocked on my door two or three years ago, Zach. I am too. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thank you, Zach. Appreciate it, Josh. Appreciate it, Deirdre.